Blog Talk Radio. It's Monday night in the latest episode of Graphic Policy Radio, the comic show for people who know the chairperson of the Justice League and the chairperson of the House Judiciary Committee and want to argue about it. I'm your host, Brett, and tonight at 11 o'clock hour, we have a guest, Christy Guevara Flanagan, the director of a great documentary that recently uh, made its debut on PBS, Wonder Women, The Untold Story of American Superheroines. But before we get to that, uh, we've got a half an hour to discuss all kinds of other geekdom. So we're covering a bunch of items, including May the 4th, which was not only the annual free comic book day, but also Star Wars Day. Uh, the weekend also had the debut of Iron Man 3, and a new Doctor Who, and a new Games of Thrones. A real nirvana for us uh, fans of geekdom in general. So here's to discuss that is my brilliant co-host, Alana. How you doing? I'm great, great. So, great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've got a lot to cover in that 30 minutes. So, um, I figure we'll have to get right to it. Um, you know, I have to tell you, I performed my important missionary duty this year at uh, the Comic Book Day. And I hope that other listeners recognize this to be their official missionary comic duty, which is to take free comic books and give them to children. And then the children, and then, and then like, see that the children read them. Yeah, well, that, that that is that is our job. That is our duty as fans. So that was actually the highlight of my free comic book day. So um, I hit up four shops um, in the DC area uh, with my uh, very patient girlfriend and dragged her along. Uh, but the first shop I went to like had everything. They had every single item you could get, and there was clearly like parents with their kids. Um, and they didn't know what to get. Like, the kids really have never done that sort of thing. And the kids, like, only had two comics. And this was a great shop where you can grab as many as you wanted. Um, and I, I was kind of, like, looking over as I was picking out the titles. And the kids had what they knew. So I think they had, like, Strawberry Shortcake and I think maybe the NFL book. I mean, there was, like, it was two books that clearly knew from what was on the cover um, and one of them was this like little girl in an action lab who you know we love as a company and they do some great stuff had done their um, princeless book and also had Molly Danger in it and I grabbed like two copies out of it right away and like I handed it to the mom I was like this is for your kids read it um, and she's like oh what's <laughs> this and I started explaining it to her and she's like oh my god that sounds amazing so like I walked out of there being like okay one I got a whole bunch of free comics but two. I like. I feel like I did a mitzvah on that one, and uh... absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I um, I was going to uh, my fiance's cousin's communion thing, and uh, I picked up a big armload of kids' comics. And had I realized there'd be more little kids around, I would have grabbed even more. But um, the, what was great was I handed the I handed the moms the comics, and the moms were totally like, "Oh, this is perfect. Thank you." And then I saw the moms deliver the comics to the children, and the children were like, I'm reading these right now. And they were surprisingly, like, dropped everything and started reading the comics. Like, for, you know, the little kids. Like, they were just in, immediately into it. Um, and it just warmed my heart, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really that's really what our – I mean, we, everyone looks forward to the comic book day because we get free comics, but we have to remember that it's really not for us. It's for – all of our friends who don't go into comic stores regularly, and it's for all the kids, you know, who who this is an opportunity for their parents to go and, and, and get them something to read and then just get some books for life, which is why I'm so happy that there were really books that are the kind of books that I would want kids reading, like Molly Danger slash 
um, Prince Liff and you know and, and the new uh, the, the new Avatar: The Last Airbender, you know, like coming out now for Free Comic Book Day. Yeah, so. I mean, like it's funny it was going on, and I've been thinking about it for the last couple of days, kind of going over all the books. Um, out of all the stuff that came out, it was really like the kids' comics that were the best of the bunch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that, like, I mean, for all the hype of a DC Superman comic, which I'm baffled as to what they released, um, Marvel's Infinity, which is supposed to hype up their big event, um, it was the stuff that done that was done by Action Lab, which which had two books. I mean, they're, they've been around for you know maybe a year or two. Like it's really they've blown up, but they had two uh, I think of the best. Um, and one of them I think is going to become a huge collector's item because it actually debuts a, a new series of theirs, which also has a female lead. Um, part of the reason we love that company. And then um, Arkea like continued to put out really good stuff. They had their Rust. Mouse Guard, um, combo of a whole bunch of different series. Yeah, um, yeah. One of one of the one of the moms who's like about who's like, you know, I guess like mid mid thirties, I showed her that one and she just was started reading it. Like I could tell that she was gonna be super into Mouse Guard. And she was taking a look at it sort of to see like if it would be at her kid's reading level or not. She's like, and I was like, You probably do want to read this to him rather than having him read it himself because, you know, you're so little she's like, Yeah, that's a good idea. Um and, you know, I think it's good to sort of do a breakdown of like what are the comics that kids can read themselves and what you need to read to them. But I could definitely see of the stuff that I was handing her that like Mouse Guard was of the most interest to her. And that's a great series. Like I, it's one that's probably old, older kids, um, like seven or eight ish, because you know there is some violence and all that. But it's all fantasy with mice and it's really cute. Um, I love that series. Like I've read every volume that's come out. Like, the art is amazing. I think the stories are really great. Um, I mean, David Peterson's an amazing artist and a fantastic writer. So yeah, I mean, that's one that I've, I reckon, recommend to friends when they're talking about stuff to get their kids. Um, and kind of it's hard for kids to read, though. Like I, I, I can tell that, you know. But, yeah. Uh, so definitely got to read it to them until they're a little bit older. And did it with the Labyrinth comic. I hadn't, I'd heard that they were doing a Labyrinth comic, and I thought that was an awesome idea, and I hadn't gotten around to checking it out. But taking a look at it, you know, in the free comic book, I mean, the art is just so perfectly evocative of the movie. Yeah, I mean, the I, I totally forgot they were doing Labyrinth until I, I opened the comic. Um, and I was checking it out, and the whole time I'm, like, racking my brain trying to remember about Labyrinth the movie. And I'm like, oh, I think I'm probably going to have to go and watch this <laughs> again before that series comes out. I mean, it's... Uh, I mean, one thing about Arkea, when the, the site first launched, the first two years, I named Arkea the best publisher for both those years, and, and partially, as like you saw it on Free Comic Book Day, they put out beautiful books, um, and it's such of like a varied line. It's they really do an amazing job, and like when you actually have the hardcovers that they do in your hands, like it's some of those beautifully put together books like on the market. Um, and just the the stuff they put out is fantastic. I mean, we talked about Rust, I think, at one point, and I think you weren't quite as into it as I was. Um, but you know, this just the art styles of like Rust, Labyrinth, um, Mouse Guard. You had Panalone's Texas, which was is more of like a comedic comic. Like all throughout that one thing, really showed off that diversity of that company. Um, that was one of the highlights. Like them and the actual lab stuff, I think, was the was the best stuff. 
I literally lo- I loved Avatar, um, and you know, I, I, Star Wars is was good, but it's not. I, I mean, I feel like I'm like kind of too removed from the story now. But the Avatar: Last Airbender one was just really fantastic. Uh, it was an interesting choice for the story because I felt like that particular story that they used in it is something that is only going to make sense to you or be of interest if you know the story, like if you're familiar with the characters and the dynamics and all that other stuff. Like, it's not the story I would have chosen for my free comic book day giveaway if I was trying to build a new audience. But it was really well done, and I really enjoyed it. But I'm also a hardcore Avatar The Last Airbender geek who, like, reads everything about it. So so that's it. It was actually – I read that one, too, today. Um, I checked it out because I figured you'd probably be interested in that one. I know nothing about Avatar. Mm-hmm. That that story actually got me interested in it. Cool. Okay, good. Okay. Although I would say that people like you and I who read a ton of comics, we are particularly adept at picking stories up midway and getting into them anyhow. You know, I feel like one of the things that determines whether or not a person will become a comic book geek or not is their ability to pick up a story, you know, a book in issue 15 and, like, have that be okay with them and just roll with it, you know. I think, and and that that was always true of me as a kid. I I never had issue one of anything because I was reading X-Men, Blue and Gold Team. Like, shoot, if I even knew what the first of an arc was, I was lucky. But you just sort of <laughs> pick it up and you roll with it, you know. But that's good that you felt like the book sold you on the series regardless. Yeah, know? I mean, it, it was different. Like the, um, I mean, when I went, when I'm thinking of the you know, Avatar Last Airbender, I I know really nothing about it. I just know a kid that has like an arrow tattoo or a paint on his head. Um, it, it has something to do with like wind and fire. and Like I really know the barely the basics. Um, but I kind of went into that, and it was so not my expectations that it actually got me interested, if that makes sense. Like, I went in with this idea of, like, oh, it's going to be this, you know, uh, I'll call it Kung Fu Light in a way. Um, And it wasn't, like, it was this political thing that was about, like, an overthrowing of a guy. I mean, it was cool. It was really, really cool. Um, so I, yeah. I actually wanted to ask you about that. Was like, all right. So if I want to go back and check out, because I, mean, I think I've got access to, to all the stuff that Dark Horse has released. Um, like, what what should I look at? It was like, if I go with you the first watch volume, the show man, you gotta watch the show, <laughs> which is on Netflix streaming, which is how I watched it. You know, I, I, I and you will watch it all in one weekend, and you'll be your life will be richer for it. I mean, you can just begin by reading the first of the. Uh, of, of the comics in the series, which would be um, The Promise Part 1, I guess, really, because the others are sort of more, like, the, the Lost Avengers are sort of... I, I wouldn't I wouldn't start there, but I watched the show, watched the show, but I'm really happy that, that, that it was able to make a convert out of you. Yeah, that character, when you begin actually reading the series, it'll have layers upon layers, but that makes me really happy to hear that it was approachable that way. You know, you mentioned the um, Marvel's uh, book. Infinity, Infinity yeah. Book. I got to tell you, all this achieved for me was making me really nostalgic for ridiculous Silver Age shit because the Archie Goodwin, um, Scott Edelman, sorry, Scott Edelman writer, my exact artist one, like that's like the, the old school 1977. The old Starling, you know, yeah. comic that they put in it. I, I was just like, this is so much more fun. Oh, my God, look at the colors. The colors are crazy. Like, I totally get that this is exactly the kind of comic that turns off people who aren't comics geeks, I guess, but there was just 
so much more fun and creative and zany and pleasurable and dramatic. And I don't know. I mean, the whole thing was very heavily Cody-esque. It made me happy. And then just reading the straight-up contemporary story, I was just like, really, really more of this? It didn't didn't do anything for me. And I'm not a – I haven't read much Hickman. I mean, he's really well-esteemed, so I'm surprised that I didn't like it more. So the – the Infinity, like, that was the first one I read because there was such a build-up and such hype about it. And I was like, all right, I really need to check this out. Um, and I, I, like, I put it down. And I kind of was, like, thinking for – I had to go somewhere for, like, a dinner. So I had time to think about it. I was like, really? That was it? Like, this is the whole pitch to go into this big series, you know, a huge event. And what it reminded me of was the teaser scenes at the end of the Marvel movies – except trying to be almost too cute. Like, they were like, hey, this yeah. movie looks at the end of the movies. We're going to put this in comic book form, except not have a clue as to what actually makes those teaser clips fun. Ding, I think you're totally right. I think you're totally right. And then, yeah, it was just like, uh, I I kind of walked around, I'm like, I, you know, I'm going to read the event, because I love Marvel's, um, uh, their, uh, their universe stuff, their... Uh, like uh, guardians and all that stuff, but like I, I, you know, I just wasn't, I wasn't pumped about it at all. I was like, eh, okay, so Thanos is gonna kill people again. Like we've seen this how many times? Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, the other one. Did you read the DC Superman one? No, I didn't get it actually, and I've forgotten and... that I didn't get it because I had so many other things to read. What in God's name is the story with that? They, they guess they were all gone at the store I was at. Um, it was the other one that left me baffled. Like the the first part of it was Superman. It was a f- part one of a Superman story, and it was supposed to tease their new series um, Unchained, which is coming out. But it's like they reprinted an old comic, and the and the story starts off as part one, but there's no part two anywhere. Um, and the part two, and I was just like, where? you know, where is any continuation at all? Like, it didn't tell you, hey, for part two, go here. Or, like, there was there was some advertisements for various graphic novels and stuff like that, but, like, it just was a complete missed opportunity. Like, if anything, they should have just gone up with a straight Superman Unchained, which is their new Jim Lee, Scott Snyder series, and done that as a zero issue, built up huge buzz, and they would have probably would have won, gotten, like, the the complete focus of free comic book day but the, what they put out has really confused me really really confused me you know what I picked up on a complete lark so I don't really read Valiant it was the Valiant Masters book because I saw Barry Windsor Smith's name on the front so I was like oh that's something I'd look at and it's interesting I you know I've never read Valiant really I you know and, and the, the art actually for a lot of this stuff and it was really good and I'm trying to, I can't tell when it was, I should have looked it up when it was done, but it, it was all very clearly dated in its style, but, but really well, really well executed. Should have um, been mid- early it, 90s? Yeah. I think. Huh. I could I be think, wrong. You know, I, it's hard for me to say, some of it, I don't know, was 70s feel to it, like for 70s, in, for like 70s sort of adult-oriented comics, but I don't know. Regardless, though, I tried to make myself read it, read it, and it was kind of hard to get into the stories themselves. But the art was pretty cool. Well, so the funny that goes with that was when Valiant um, 
when Valiant like did their whole relaunch last year, I mean, the, the stuff they're doing now is really, really good. And everyone kept on talking about it. it was like, oh, my God, the Valiant stuff from the 90s. I hope they keep on doing that. And it was so amazing and blah, 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 blah. And, like, I read it. Or, I mean, I read it when it first came out in the 90s, that stuff. And I was like, from what I remember, it was all about the covers and the inside material blue. It was like Image Comics back in the day, too, where it had really cool covers, but what was in between was just not up to snuff. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, shoot, in the 90s, though, I was a total, like, looked at them as being off-brand. I was like, why would I read this off-brand thing? Like, I didn't, you know, I never really picked it up for that reason. Uh, and then it had great things like Bloodshot, which I don't even know what that is. And that cover and that piece of art, I have to say, even though it has BWS written on it, is, like, super <laughs> weak. Super weak. Yeah, I but, mean, like, you know, it just it just doesn't, to me, it it wasn't great then or wasn't even good then. And then, it to me, it hasn't held up, definitely hasn't held up in time. And the couple people that I know that have gone back and um, rewrite it came back and they were like, yeah, it really wasn't as good as I remember. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yep. If you pick up, um, and I don't even know this publisher, uh, they had a comic that was on one side, The Stuff of Legend, and on the other side, Finding Gossamer. Did you grab yeah. that one? Yeah. Uh, I haven't heard of any of those things. Uh, you know, the art on the Finding Gossamer one is, like, not my thing, but it's really well executed, and it's very fantasy, very book-like. And I think one of the, the comments in the review section was saying that it really sort of captured the heart of a Pixar movie. And I was thinking, like, you know, that isn't my thing either, but I totally get what they're saying here, and I could see that being the case. And this was one of the ones I gave to the kids, and hopefully they'll like it. But I read the other stuff, which is the stuff of Legend, and it was such a textbook example of, like, them just basically taking their whole story and putting it into a digest, and it just doesn't work, you know. Like, I have a feeling like this comic book series itself might be good, but the way they put together their free comic book day, it's like, remember the Marvel Saga comics that you used to get? Yeah. Oh, Where yeah. Where you just do, like, a cut and paste of a summary of different things that have happened in other issues of blurbs. It was like the Marvel Saga of this comic book series I'd never heard of before. Yeah, it looked like it had pretty cool art, actually. Yeah. The, um, it looked like it had a cool female lead action character, but I couldn't figure out, like, I couldn't really get into the story, and I didn't think it was a good way to tell a story. It sort of broke the rules of comics. Yeah, that was you know? Third Third World. They, Third World Studios, I think it is. Um, generally in the past, they're, or not in the past, the, the stuff they've put out, so I've read their stuff of Legends, I've read a couple of other series, Funny customer. I think I've read at least the first issue, maybe some more. Um, the stuff they put out is it's pretty good. Like they're a good indie publisher. Um, I generally thought didn't think it was like the best thing to put out for them. Free comic book day. Um, but like the series themselves, stuff of legends, it's got a really good following. Want to say they they got option for a movie. Um, huh. Like it. It's generally really good. Like, they're one of the better indie publishers out there. Well, I have um, to tell you, the cover for the Stuff of Legend is wonderful. All the like, covers the cover are amazing. Itself, the cover itself is just great. Yeah, actually, so it was the Gossamer one. It was really lovely, too. But the one Stuff of Legend really reminds me of some fantastic 70s fantasy illustration stuff that I've had growing up. Um, but, yeah, I just didn't like the Marvel Saga approach to trying to summarize info, and info dump everything on me. Um, I read the, uh, did you read the Marvel, I'm sorry, the Batman for Kids one? Uh, I didn't. It's sitting in my pile. I don't know. I, I, it was the one that the kids read first that I could, from what I could see. I liked the art. 
story didn't really do much for me. They it feels like the Batman character that they're trying to present now in their comic stuff is really kind of bland. Um, we're here nor there. Yeah, like I don't know the Kate stuff, so that I couldn't say anything about that. I mean, the one, at least in the main series. I think at least out of all the writers, Snyder has been doing a good job keeping them fairly balanced. Oh, um, yeah, no, but this has nothing to do with that at all. This is a DC animated universe, and therefore the like, DC kids version of everything. And, yeah. I, I've always thought that character was fairly, like, I loved the animated stuff, um, but the character itself was always pretty um, generic is, I guess, the best way I'd put it. Like, he never had no. tons of personality. No, no. I mean, look, when the cartoon, like in Justice League and in and in and in Batman the Animated Series, I I thought the character was fantastically done, but I felt like it was really pretty bland in the comic <laughs> that I looked through. Um, and they had a little Teen Titans like reprint, basically from from like um, Teen Titans Go, the sort of manga influenced book. They had a short story printed in there. It was kind of cute. Um, it made me. You know, they tried to make it a tie-in to the new Teen Titans Go cartoon that'll be on TV, but then they don't explain why there's this whole additional female character in it who's not in the cartoon, which is unfortunate. Um, and what well, did appear in the book, um, it was okay. I mean, I don't know. I guess it, it really was clearly about them trying to tie their TV properties into something that was being given away on Free Comic Book Day. But meanwhile, the Marvel Kids one, which was like Hulk, Agents of Smash thing... You know, I'm really happy it had Shulk on the cover, but there was no She-Hulk inside. <laughs> and also, it was boring. I yeah, mean, I flipped through that and was like, I'm not really going to spend time with it. Um, I mean, it is no. a series coming out. I, you know, the one thing, I'll, I will throw Marvel and DC props for both of that. At least they tried to tie in their kids' stuff for TV series. Yes. Um so there was that. I mean, that was that's partially what Free Comic Book Day is about. Um, but I would argue why weren't they, you know, it should be the other way. You should be trying to get people that are watching the TV series to go to Free Comic Book Day, mm-hmm. not for them to sit in front of the TV. Bing. And also that the quality of what they're making should be better. Although, again, I did like the art for the Batman one. I just didn't really get the story. <laughs> what did you think of the, did you get the uh, Kaboom Summer Blast? I did. I haven't had a chance to read it. Um, I know it's gotten a lot of a lot of a praise. Um, I mean, Kaboom is a whole Boom and Kaboom um, have been getting some really good series. I mean, they got Adventure Time, Bravest Warriors, Regular Show is coming out, and that's another one I have no idea about. <laughs> I've never read Regular Show the comic. I don't. You know, we watch the show uh, regularly. I've never seen the comic before. The art was different from the series from the comic in a way that I'm sorry, a different from the way of the different than the show in a way that I think was successful. Um, it was fairly funny, although I didn't laugh out loud or anything. I, I think it was pretty good. I don't know if it's a book I'd actively go and collect, but it was pretty good. Hero Baron, the kid, did another sort of very similar, like, let me digest the entire story for you through various panels thing, which I really, I, I just don't, like, let the work speak for itself, you know, I they are, you know, the 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 kid cartoon art for it is all really well laid out. I mean, the person who who does the art for Hero Bear is clearly a fantastic craftsman. But um, I don't know. It was just basically like captions 
written over everything in a way that it was not like a comic. It was like a digest again, sort of. Yeah, I mean, I know um, Hero Bear making like the, that debut is a big deal. Was that the series that I think has been around for a while? And now it's coming through Boom, so that's like that was their big debut and thing. So the people that are going to be excited about that are looking for that. Cool. And I actually read for the first time ever. I read like a, I read like the the Peanuts and the Garfield. Stuff too, even there. It was okay. Yeah, yeah, the Adventure Time one was a lot of fun. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, I've having read those all those series, like it's good stuff. Like it's good for fans of those of Peanuts of of um, um, Garfield. Garfield. What else did you pick up? I grabbed everything. Uh, I, yeah, I gave some of the stuff that I only got one copy of away, so I didn't get to read the um, the uh, the image comic one that's for kids. I didn't I didn't get a chance to look at that. I'm trying to think about that one. Yeah, that one I haven't. I have that. It was fifty fifty three different series out this year. Out this year. Um, and then there was more than that. Because like we had some indie folks that were giving stuff out at grocery shops. But how like how was the shop that you went to? Did you do anything special? Was there like comic yeah? Oh well, you know I didn't. I was not. I didn't go to my regular comic book shop because we were on our way out to Long Island. So I went to Cricket Comics in um, uh, Hicksville. No, not Hicksville. I'm checking right now. Um, it was a, the comic store had a couple of folks in costume out front. They had a line of people at the register, lots of, you know, they're moving folks along. Good turnout, lots of parents with kids. They had one of the artists from Archie, and then they had, um, and, and then uh, Joe Kelly was there, who I got to speak with, who's awesome, who said he's going to come on the show. Um, and both of them had, you know, it had a good draw. The store was packed, but not so packed to as to be unpleasant. There were free cookies. Good times were had by all. Um, yeah, I mean, I went yeah, to, I mean, I to Big Planet in Street, which has a great selection. It's not a huge store, so you can't record a lot, but there's a lot of guests, or a lot of uh, people going. Um, and then one of the others I went to was actually comics out in Baltimore, and that was just a massive problem. <laughs> they had members of five members in. Con- costume contest, artist drawing, like it was a big out. Wow. Oh, okay, sorry. It's called Grasshopper Comics in Williston Park, New York. Cool. cool. Have you been to that shop before? No, and I've never been to Williston Park, New York either. So. <laughs> I don't even know where that is. Adventures in suburbia. Um, but yeah, it was good to see a store like that. I have that many people there participating and. And to have that have that many kids there as well was really nice. Cool. That's, yeah. That was one thing that I liked about all the shops. I had a shop that was a mix of kids and adults. It was great to see. And, and men, women, like gender, everything was everything was complete mix and varied. Every shop I went to. Hmm. All good That's things. Good. Good. I'm, yeah, next year I'm going to see if I can do what you do and run around and catch all the different places. 
Yeah, I think yeah, I'm. Uh, I, think I'm, I'm uh, I might go other way and head into Maryland yeah, yeah, yeah. for the route. For the route. Stop. Stop. See how they do. Yeah, we do. We have a lot. Uh, you know, I have a lot. I'm trying to catch up on all my other stuff too. Did you pick up the movement? New I, did. Book? I did. I did. I did. What did you think? <laughs> um, um, how do I put this nicely? It wasn't. It wasn't what it was like yet. And I kind of felt like like tight, um, um, like the squad. I'm sorry, say that again. That was breaking up. Oh, sorry. I, I kind of thought it was like the the B squad. Hmm. Shoot. I mean, I thought some of the new characters had really creative power sets, and it was cool to see Tremor, who I know from Secret Six. Uh, show up in some capacity, but I, it, the whole thing did not seem as uh, uh, commentary astute as one as I had hoped initially. Um, it seemed more just like a standard corrupt police in a in a in a town that's like having its own crime problem and young people coming together and standing up against it. And there wasn't, like, a broader class or power analysis involved, and that was really disappointing. But issue one, maybe that will change. I did love the touch of having um, all the witnesses to the uh, to, to the cops harassing the girl with the masks, with the cameras on their faces. This was an amazing mashup visual halfway between anonymous and a panopticon frankly. Um, so I thought that was really creative. That, that I think, was the most powerful and extreme image from the series, and I think we could take that go a long way. But if the series is just going to be like, oh, these cops are corrupt and the kids are fighting them, and that's all the analysis that's there, then they're really missing out. Um, because, you know, corrupt cops are terrible, but they're almost at the bottom of the totem poles of, of you know, of power that this could be critiquing. You know, they're foot soldiers. They're not in charge. So if this is really about looking at the 1%, I don't see any 1% there, you know? And but I, I think it's just great to set up, a, set up a phenomenon, sure. I'm sorry? That was my issue. Was, my issue. was it was just like yeah, that? I think you're cutting out, and I, I, I can't hear what you're saying. Oh, one sec. Oh, one sec. Mm-hmm. Although, actually, funny, I also really liked what... Um, I mean, gosh, this most recent issue of FF was wonderful, and I love what they're doing with the uh, Yancey Street gang in relation to Anonymous. I thought that was quite witty. And it's funny, actually. Um, my fiancé picked up on the uh, on the connection between the Yancey Street gang and Anonymous uh, in terms of the mask wearing, and before I did. I don't know how that was, but... Um, I do think that, that they play that really well in this. Uh... Yeah, I don't. Did they purposely do the anonymous with the mask? Oh yeah. I mean, they even had them. They they, they had them crave doing like phone hacking into people's phones. You know, and they say that they were going after corrupt politicians, but then they're angry at them for going after going after Darla Deering, etc. So yeah, it's clearly that that's what that's about. Yeah, I need to pick up. 
it's sort of a weird feel. I mean, it's really not a one-to-one translation, but there's clearly an element of it in there. So. Having it brought up, but when I first read it, it crossed my mind. Yeah, no, I'm positive that that's intentional. Positive of that. Hmm. It's a little after eleven. Is our is our guest going to call in now? I I don't know. Cross my fingers. Cross my fingers. About FF on the bowl with the I'm sorry, I, you're breaking up. <sighs> about the Molly transgender. Molly transgender kid. Yes. Oh my God, how cute is that? Yeah, so I thought. Well, I, thought I thought it was so touching, so well handled. It's interesting though. I wasn't aware that Moldoids had a gender until she referred to her brothers as brothers. And I'm like, oh, I guess they're boys. Uh, like, I guess they're boys and she's female. That's cool. I had almost thought it was like they, they didn't have a gender and she was, you know, deciding that she was female. But but that's all totally cool. I thought that it was really touching um, and adorable. But everything about the Moldoids is touching and adorable. I do have to wonder if she was the particular one of the Moldoids who was the most interested in eating nail polish in the several issues back. Um because they were all sort of eating makeup, but one of them was like way more into eating makeup than the others. And I have to tell you, from personal experience, that nail polish is nasty, and you don't want to eat that. But Moloids have a different metabolism than humans, and I'm imagining that all those various toxic paint products can really injure them. But yeah, and I love seeing the reactions from the adults, and the Katy Perry characters all like, yeah, you go. Hopefully she'll get her a cuter dress, because that dress is really dubious. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's okay. Like, when you're just learning what to wear, you're just learning what to wear. I had a lot of fashion mistakes when I was a little kid, too, you know. But anyway, um, someone who I was talking with was pointing out that Katy Perry, unfortunately herself, has actually had some anti-transgender bullying coming out of her mouth. So one can only hope that she would take inspiration from comics' own Darla Deering and integrate some of the greater sensitivity into her interactions with her fans. But, um I really liked the way the characters reacted to that. I mean, I think it was interesting how you know, Scott be like, I'm sorry, is this a thing now? And then she hope so silly says, yes, it is. And Kitty Perry is like, I think it's adorable. Which, I, I don't know. I thought, that was also, I thought that was well handled. And the response that I've seen from the transgender community online has been very positive as well. I could see how someone can criticize, like, oh, why is it a moloid, not a kid, kid, but... Um, the reality is that the Moloids are the most animated and fully human, I think, of the groups of kids in that school, from what I can tell, other than Alex Powers. Yeah, um, I was more yeah, wondering where, where it came from. Where it came from. Yeah. Like, it was all kind of out of the blue, as far as the, the announcement. The announcement. Maybe, she, maybe that's why they were all playing with She-Hulk's makeup, and she had a realization that she was like, I'm, like, way more into playing with this makeup than she all is. I don't know. But, yeah, it was not like there was a ton of development towards it. But I don't see how necessarily there could be in such a huge team book like this. Um, that, didn't, that didn't throw me off, really. I, it, didn't, it didn't feel like it was an add-on or that it was put in just to make a point or, you know, I don't know. It felt like a reasonable thing to have happen and certainly representative of so many young kids today and you know. And I think uh, Christy has called in, so whatever. 
Hello. Kirstie? Hi. Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you? Great. Well, thank you very much for joining us. It's great to be here. It's great to be here. We both really love the movie, um, and we're just so excited to have you on to talk about it. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping for everyone, uh, if you haven't had a chance to, if you didn't have a chance to watch it on PBS, is you can watch it on PBS's website now till, um, sorry, till, till mid-June, it sounds like. Yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. That's fantastic. Um, so do you want to tell people a little bit about the, uh, the, 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 um, the genesis of the movie? Sure. Well, the documentary, Wonder Women, the Untold Story of American Superheroine, first conceived it a while ago now, about four, over four years ago. And like many documentaries, it takes a long time to make. <laughs> a long battle of fundraising and um, just kind of shooting and stops and starts. But it was for me, it was a really interesting genesis because it was very gradual. I, I call it like an accumulation. <laughs> I, I never had that aha moment. I just started accumulating information and, and anecdotes and, and eventually realized there was enough there for film, but one of the first things that happened was that I was reading the newspaper, the New York Times, and I read an article about Gail Simone, and at the time it was 2005, and she was about to begin writing the Wonder Woman series for DC, and one thing that the article mentioned that caught my eye was that it was the first time a woman was going to be at the helm of the series, and I just thought that was kind of crazy, that here was this icon of great female empowerment, and um, and yet she was created by a man and had been continually written by men for her very long career, you know, it was over 60 years at that time. So there was just something in that contradiction that I thought was compelling enough to go back and look at it in more detail, and then I found out about her origin story, Wonder Woman, and became very excited about um this idea of this female superheroine created in the 40s on the cusp of World War II and, and very much sort of a Rosie the Riveter-styled feminist hero. And when I read those early comics, I felt that there was something still so really kind of radical about this female hero, um, because we just don't have a lot of female heroes. They're few and far between, and they're even fewer when you think about them in terms of being the original idea, you know, they're not a sidekick or a spinoff. Um, and then even fewer still when you talk about them having relationships with other women, and here this was this great hero that I felt, you know, people hadn't really, um, that her story had been lost, her very compelling mythology had been lost, and that there was something to be gained in, in thinking about her again um, for, for new and younger audiences. And that her history also was just so revealing, uh, the way she kind of bounced around as being strong and at other times weak um, seemed an interesting pattern to look at in terms of representations of women in pop culture. Absolutely. 
I mean, I will say that one of the, the common critiques that a lot of feminist comic book fans have always had is that the concept of the character of Wonder Woman is brilliant and radical and was a complete game changer, but the execution of so much of the stories that have been told about her has just undermined the character and that uh, so many of, so much of the positive feeling that people have for the character is for a combination of the symbology and for the amazing television show on the Carter. Um, over the years, there have not been that many great Wonder Woman writers, um, and certainly they haven't had any. They didn't have any women really writing the story regularly until Gail Simone, and there were a lot of men who came after her founder who just did not get it and did a terrible job, terrible things to her, a terrible job with her, and so she just never had the stories that she deserved really, because the concept itself is so fantastic. Um, so it was it was interesting to see that sort of get played out and. Have you because you you sort of looked at these different writers in the past and the stories and how things had gone bad in the '60s and everything else. And I'll say one of the big revelations that I got watching the the film was how brilliant Linda Carter's understanding of everything is and that, how much she brought to the creation of the character on the show. Um, and I you know I I I, I would love to. We had so many fantastic interviews with people there in general. I would just love to hear some of the outtakes or best things that that. <laughs> I, I certainly was like, oh, I want to hear more from these people. But um, with the uh, but I don't know. I mean, do you feel that a lot of people's positive feelings towards the character is you know really stem from their awareness of the show and and the symbolism as opposed to being from the comics themselves? Definitely Wonder Woman. Well, I think there's a couple of things. As an icon, she became really aligned with the feminist cause when she appeared on the cover of Ms. Magazine. And every year now for their anniversary, they always revisit that and have Wonder Woman on the cover. So um, even though that may not have reached a, a huge audience, I think that reinforced this idea of you know, we look up to her as a leader, and, and women claim her as their own. And then, of course, yes, Linda Carter reached a very wide audience, um, and people of a certain generation really feel like they grew up with her as this inspirational figure on television um, where, you know, for young women and girls, it really meant there was finally a fantasy figure that we could... Um, play around with on the playground and at home and, and take on that kind of um, larger-than-life power and heroism and saving the day and fighting the villains, that we didn't have anything else that really could um, give us that. And and it appealed to boys and men as well because of, you know, how great she looked <laughs> and because she's been a... a um, you know, a Miss America star. So it really kind of hit its mark in, in both departments. And, and it's funny because the series wasn't even on that long, but it was one of those, you know, three years was it. Um, but it was in syndication for forever. And it was also just, it broke ground in television. It really did. You know, there hadn't been anything like it before. And, um, and, and we remember that as well, I think. Um, you know, of course, for younger generations, they're not as familiar with Wonder Woman. I mean, the comic book audience is a niche, a very niche audience until it gets its blockbuster film. And then with the merchandise and then with the 
ethereal nature of these blockbuster superhero films, you can reach that really wide audience again. So, um, you know, the other thing we felt was that Wonder Woman really, you know, should be getting her due in that regard. Yeah. And it's funny because her brand is huge, like right now. I mean, you can buy all kinds of merch with her all over it in mainstream stores, but you can't go and see a movie about her, and people don't know her origin story even, really. Right, and the only reason you can buy all this merch with her on it is because she's it, you know? Yeah. There's nobody else as recognizable. No. And I was really glad. I mean, this is silly. Like, I was really glad that your movie addressed that there were other female heroes. I mean, I'm like, I've always been a huge geek for Black Canary, so I was sort of like, thank you. (laughs) It's just that she never got the same budget for marketing. But um, so I was worried that there would be, because there are people out there who truly believe that she's the only female superhero, which is not true. She's the only iconic female superhero that anybody ever sort of put anything behind. But she's not. I mean, you know, like there were other characters, and you acknowledge that, and you show a few of them in clips, and I was like, okay, thank you. You did your homework. <laughs> she's not, and there's some great characters out there, and definitely some more contemporary ones that have done really compelling and interesting things. Um, and you know, we gotta like hang on to those, and and I feel like those characters are threatened all the time. You know, when when and and they are when DC you know rewrites its universe and and can call the shot on who gets the series and who doesn't you know those characters are threatened um or they're revised and in, in, in the way that Wonder Woman was revised they're zapped of their strength at least their their feminist strength mm-hmm. hey this is Brett so i actually have a question that um, there's so much to cover. Like, you could do a documentary just on Wonder Woman's creator, William Moulton Marston. Like, how... Yeah, I mean, he's just a fascinating character unto himself. Um, how did you decide, like, at least with that part of the creation and just her history in general, like, what to focus on, what, you know, wasn't as important? Um, like, what was kind of the thought process as far as that? Well, that's an interesting question. That was really hot that was really hard. I mean, he was one of the first things I came to learn a lot about when I was researching the story. And I thought, oh, he's such an interesting character, you know, and there's so much we could go into. I mean, he had, anybody that knows anything about him knows that, you know, he had these two wives and, or he had two women in his lives. One was a wife and one was a mistress and they raised their kids together. And, um, you know, it was very ahead of his time in, in that regard. Um, and a lot of people have um, thought that those women, particularly his um, secretary who became his, his mistress, were very instrumental in the creation of Wonder Woman and the ideas behind her. And both women were very strong women in and of their own right. And I really wanted to, you know, at first kind of go into that story much more but as i was as i was piecing together the larger story i you know i just needed a balance or he was going to steal the show early on and and people um you know we did have cuts with a little bit more of him in there and people uh, ended up thinking that it was going to be a documentary about him and i just you know i, I that's not exactly where i wanted to take it so we we wanted to give a taste for this very inventive and very curious figure um, and then, you know, kind of leave people with wanting to know more about him. <laughs> and hopefully when they do, they can find some really interesting facts. <laughs> interesting is, I think, an understatement. <laughs> um, when it when it came to putting it all together, I mean, there's so much out there. Like, how much 
uh, did you actually interact with DC Comics? You know, were they <laughs> really on board with it, or um, was it really kind of like an indie thing where you guys were coming from the outside and were like, we're just going to do this, so we don't want to be influenced? It was pretty independent. Um, I mean, we did have conversations with them early on, but, you know, it was, it was apparent that they would have to control anything that was going to be about their their um characters and and our you know our goal was to ultimately kind of be a social issue film and educational film so in that way we wanted to maintain creative control and critiquing these characters which is what you you ultimately get so it was, a, it was an interesting balance and um you know talking with people who worked for DC and interviewing them and and had been involved with the character on a more corporate level and then you know trying to make our our own film through that process um have do you know if they've seen it i'm guessing they've I, you know, I, I, yeah, I'm assuming they've, they know about it and have seen it. I mean, they, who, who is they exactly? So I, I know certain people. You know, Gail Simone's seen it, but she's not DC. Um, she's awesome. That's the difference. <laughs> and and so I. I you know, I think that they re- they recognize that it's not um, slanderous. You know, it's only going to be good for their their product <laughs> um, in that it kind of uh, reignites the character of Wonder Woman and, and the discussion about her and, and maybe, you know, gently asks for <laughs> a feature film in her honor. How did it um, How did it eventually get to PBS? Well, when we were making the film, we, we you know, we really wanted a broadcast audience and so basically there's not a lot of outlets for broadcasting documentaries. Um HBO, Showtime and PBS and then I guess maybe the Sundance Channel and um oh, Oprah's network also had a documentary channel that was starting at the time and that's kind of it. So we just shopped it around to all of them. And, um, you know, they were encouraging, but nobody put their name behind it until, you know, it was done. (laughs) So it wasn't until we were premiering at a film festival, we premiered the film at South by Southwest, that um, they agreed to license the film. And it seemed like, PBS seemed like just a a great fit for it. So one of the the things I also noticed going on the website is, um, there's a lot of encouragement for um, educators, administrators to use the documentary to um, empower discussion on gender roles and um, a lot of the themes that the, the documentary deals with. But interestingly enough, there's also all these curriculum guides we have on the website. Um, but where did how? I guess where did the idea of putting these guides together come from? And then like, well, who actually put together those guides? <laughs> well, one thing that happens um, is that, and you hit on this earlier, you know, there was so much material we wanted to cram into this film, and editing it was a bear, and, and definitely choosing the, the female superheroes and even just action figures, action heroes that we were going to talk about was just like a heart-wrenching <laughs> um, task because we loved we loved all of them, you know. We wanted to be encyclopedic, um, but we just, we really quickly realized there's no way in, in an hour and a half film or an hour film that we could even c- 
come close to that. So we just kind of had to pick highlights. And, and we had to always come back to Wonder Woman herself. Um, so the curriculum guide, in a way, can kind of pick up where the film has left off and, um, you know, have these larger discussions. And I teach community college, so I always had and have had with my filmmaking an eye towards um, just, you know, young people engaged in filmmaking and, and in in really in consuming pop culture because that's, you know, what, what they're doing all the time, every moment of their lives and, and how this is impacting them and, and how they have um, some control and also some some ability to be critical and kind of sift through what they're watching. So that was really important to me. And um, so the guides kind of uh, are about that, about extending the conversation and really with an eye towards younger audiences and how they can be, how they can develop media literacy, how they can be encouraged to create their own media and how they can, you know, look for stereotypes and, and gender and, and racial and ethnic cliches that are out there um, and, and bust those, you know, <laughs> bust them up. Um, so we we worked with our own um Curriculum, somebody that was familiar with high school and middle school curriculum, Jamie Holman, and she helped work on it with with us. And actually my mom is a former high school teacher, so she did a lot of um, consulting on it. And then finally PBS, when they became involved, they wanted to do uh, their own version. And then, you know, we screened it in New York, and they wanted to do their own version there as well, kind of borrowing from our themes. So now we have all these different curriculum guides for very specific audiences um which is which is great fantastic and and I hope that people can use them um educators and community youth groups and really parents as well yeah definitely oh uh, tell me a little bit about the wonder city game so wonder city we're about to launch um it's a week away from launching actually and this was an idea one of the things we also couldn't contain in this film that I was very interested in was just the gaming community and I think that you know deserves its own film and um you know kind of um critical analysis but we started to think about well what can we do um, again, to bring some of the themes of the film and, and the concept of heroism and the need for female heroes to younger audiences because we felt like in the gaming community there's, there is a lot of sexism. There's also just a lack of female heroes and the ability to play as a female protagonist. Um, so we started doing some research and we were able to do this really cool um, workshop at the Bay Area Video Coalition where they help documentary filmmakers develop interactive ways of of um, kind of reconfiguring their films, really. So we wanted to do a game, and we workshopped it there, and people from, like, Facebook came and gave us critique, and it was really exciting. And we decided that we the audience that we really wanted to target were tweens because for for – that's a really growing demographic of video gamers, um, particularly for young women. And the games that are out there for tweens are just really icky. <laughs> they're really yeah, insane. The ones that are targeted towards tween girls, that is. You know, they're all about, like, shopping and, and makeovers and boy, 
you know, cult- getting boyfriends, accumulating boyfriends, and um, that's, you know, I'm sure there's girls out there that want to play those games, but we just felt like there should be a few other options, maybe. <laughs> so that's where Wonder City was um, developed, and we've had a great time working with some of the illustrators that worked on our film, have been working on the game, and we hope it to be episodic. So it's our pilot episode that's going to launch next week on PBS's website, and PBS has been working with us, too, on that pilot episode. Okay. What, um, I think going through all the history and, like, really doing your research, like, what really surprised you the most out of it all? Um, well, for me, I wasn't, I had never been a huge superhero comic fan, so just kind of reading them was, was really revealing, and, and when I read those early Marston comics and, and the artistry, you know, the, the illustration by H.G. Peters, I just was kind of blown away by, by them, and, and, um, you know, they just really were great, they were weird as well, but they were, they were just so fascinating. I thought so beautifully drawn as well, so I just kind of was really taken with the stories and the characters and, and um, the style in which she was drawn, and and then that kind of happened over and over, you know, when I read Perez's version of Wonder Woman in, in the 80s, and when I read Greg Rucka's, like all of those, I just kind of like, oh, this is so beautiful, and, and I had like a lot of people kind of um, thought of superhero comics as just kind of being um, like the lowest common denominator. And so it was really refreshing and eye-opening and and beautifully engaging to read these wonderful and um, uh, um, just beautifully aesthetic um, series that these writers and artists had. Is yeah. there is there any like time period that you read that you you really enjoy? I mean, a, a lot of comic book fans are really drawn to like one era, era or maybe like one writer or artist. Is there any that stuck out to you? Well, I I did I really did like George Perez's run. I love just the artwork married with the writing and and kind of the sort of post psychedelic style of the drawing and <laughs> I don't know and, yeah. and it rang it what, what it did was it just really resonated with her kind of Greek mythology and um, it was just such a great coupling and and yeah I just definitely fell in love with it and we talked with a lot of people who that was the same thing like that was where they had fallen in love with Wonder Woman um, so that was pretty 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 cool. Um, I liked, you know, I also liked early X-Men, so. Yeah, the George Perez stuff was wonderful. Have you had any, I mean, there's a reason why it's so popular amongst a lot of late, a lot long, a lot of feminists, actually. Um, have you had any thoughts about what DC's doing now in their new version of Wonder Woman and having her getting like a Superman and. I don't, it's hard for me to comment until I can kind of like see it in its whole arc. I mean, I don't, like, I, I understand the arguments that some people have made that, you know, it's, it's um, it kind of zaps her power when you, you know, have Zeus as a father instead of coming from a pure matriarchy or, 
you know, are in a relationship with Superman, it's, um, you know, kind of takes away some of her iconic strength. Um, But I'd like to sort of, you know, see how it plays out to really kind of understand more what I think about its run. Um, Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Especially as more of like a novice superhero comic reader. I actually find myself more and more being like, all right, let's just see how the whole story shapes out and not react to one issue. Um, exactly, exactly. Where yeah. like, where are they going with this? <laughs> exactly. The the interesting, so, I mean, Wonder Woman, like, was it for such a long time, and then you had this, like, in the 70s, you had Bionic Woman, and it kind of, like, a, a lot more, some more female, you know, strong female characters, Charlie's Angel, stuff like that. Um, and then... Again, that kind of dipped, and I see modern times, to me, I like, I love video games, so I'm thinking, like, Laura Croft, you had Samus from Metroid, um, there's kind of, like, another kind of grouping of these powerful female characters, do you, in all your research and looking at stuff, do you feel like there was a, kind of, like, waves and dips, or... Do you think there's more now than there were then? I mean, kind of what's your read of female characters over time and, you know, their increase or decrease of popularity? Yeah, I definitely think that there's waves and there's times where there's a lot. I mean, when Buffy was popular and then there were a lot of spinoffs after that, I think that was a time where there were, you know, quite a number of female heroes on TV um, and starting to come back to the big screen and then, um, it's felt like a little bit more of a lull since then, I and mean, we have had Ange- Angelina Jolie, but she's like the only one in terms of blockbusters uh, that plays superheroes. And then we're, but I think now we're again starting to see um, some interesting things happen, like you were saying with video game characters, um, also with uh, films like The Hunger Games, and I think that's coming out. A lot of that is coming out of. Um, young adult literature, which I think has been much more, um, a a much better place for female heroes. And so it's kind of an exciting time where I think you're going to see a resurgence of young women as heroes um, through these different series. And what's always great as a series is that there's a lot of room to really develop their narrative and to remind us that these are... um, you know, we're reminded of these characters and their mythologies when they keep coming back. So I think that that imprints on us, like, oh, yeah, you can have a female hero. And and for the executives, it says they will do well at the box office. And then for young girls and young boys and anybody, any fans watching it, they just begin to take it for granted. And so, I, you know, I'm hoping that we can... um, come to that place again, because I think that there was definitely a lull and a a great dip in terms of the kind of female heroes we saw on screen and on TV and, you know, that were just kind of really popular. Why why do you think that there hasn't been, like, a sustained popularity of the female characters? Because it's quite... I always go back to the 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 dollar bill sign of, you know, if they were making tons of money, Hollywood would be pumping it out, and, you know, Bridesmaid did really well, Hunger Games did really well, so they kind of, and a lot of the YA stuff, like, they're taking notice, like, okay, there's money here, so you'll see, like, a lot of stuff, but there's not this sustained 
<coughs> continuous uh, pumping out of like strong female characters or even like really entertainment, I think, geared towards mass entertainment gears towards women. I think that the balance just has never tipped in the favor of, yes, we take it for granted, so it's always still an exception to the rule. Um, this film made money, you know, only because of some crazy exception, <laughs> not the fact that it was a good film and it happened to have a female hero, you know. Um, oh, yeah. So, and it's because we don't have a, we we you know just it's a numbers game. We just don't have, um, you know, enough of those heroes out there coming to kind of our mainstream consciousness. And when you get more and more and more, I think eventually you'll reach this tipping point where, um, you know, there will be just as many as male heroes. Um, and it won't be such a struggle, and it won't feel like everyone is the first <laughs> and the exception. So I, think I mean, I do think it's so fantastic that you've made this movie. I mean, you know, having worked in the film industry, and I used to work for the entertainment industry union, I mean, so much of why you don't see the entertainment is because women don't have any decisions of power in Hollywood to make decisions, to create art, to put money behind anything. It broke my heart. I mean, I loved watching those young women doing the media literacy and media training workshops in the doc- that you showed, but then when they also they wanted to go on to make movies, all I could think of was like, and you'll have to make them yourself because no one is going to hire you, and I can see mm-hmm. you're serious. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I, it, it's really hard. Like, and you know, hopefully there's going to be some shift over generations, but I, I don't see a trend in changing. I think it's just going to have to be. There's a reason why women do documentaries because we make them ourselves. You know. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, the the other answer to that question is we still live in, you know, patriarchy. Women still don't make what men make. You know, the ERA never passed. I mean, there's, you know, um, it's not an equitable society. So you see how that's reflected in areas like politics and business and, and media very glaringly. So, you know, there's not a high percentage of female leaders in those areas. Um, and and you know definitely we want more women creators because that will be one of the ways in which those that can change you know because you'll get more female hopefully more female characters and more and and better female characters i think that's just as important um you know more authentic or real or relatable or um non stereotypical characters that are women and girls is it and this is actually a great lead-up to the question I had, because I, I wanted to ask about that workshop. Um, what were the girls that were in that scene in that workshop, like, initial reaction? Was, like, the gender issue something they were aware of? Was it something that, when it was brought up, it kind of, like, clicked to them? Um, was it something they were totally oblivious to? Um, and then the other follow-up to that is, you know, is there any thoughts about maybe following up with, with them and seeing where they are, you know, over time and what they've done with that. Because some of those ideas were great and they, there seemed like there was a lot of enthusiasm. And I, I know as a viewer of the documentary, I'd love to see where that went over time. Mm, that's a great idea. I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> I like <laughs> it. Um, I, th- I think they had a range of reactions. I mean, some of them, it seems like, Young women and men are aware of, you know, stereotypes that are out there and and gender disparities, and maybe they don't have the language to articulate it, so they can't really talk about it. So I think that workshop really helped give them 
a language to be critical, you know, be media literate, as we call it, and be critical of what they watched and be able to kind of analyze. Um, so those tools were provided. And and for some it was eye-opening. It wasn't until you kind of had to say, oh, yeah, all those girls do dress like this or all of them do, you know, worry about the way they look much more than the male characters were. So I think that um, that kind of being able to, in a group, um, analyze what you're looking at can can be very eye-opening. And, and sometimes it's a case of just not having the language and the tools, and sometimes it's, you know, just not having been learned to be critical at all of what you're consuming and just to kind of take it at its face value, um, which is, you know, definitely, um, you know, can be the most potentially damaging there's so there's an interesting thing with with Wonder Woman where I, she's such a powerful character and kind of a strong female character and there's the other half of her who's really sexualized um, you know Linda Carter kind of had like the really short shorts and as a whole the characters had it and then recently kind of like a couple years ago like there was a huge controversy of um, Jim Lee giving her pants. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, it's, it's just an interesting character that seems to kind of go back and forth between those two worlds, um, and it always seems to have been a challenge to kind of balance those two. I mean, is that something you, you kind of noticed, or, I mean, in general, do you have an opinion even on the pants, which I always I mean, thought was a funny anti, thing? Pro, pro or anti-pants, <laughs> because there, there are plenty of feminist anti-pants um, opinion folks. It's a, com- yeah. it's a complicated issue. <laughs> yeah, these are the things that the geek community care about. <laughs> I yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think she she's because she's it. Um, <laughs> she just stands for quite a bit, you know. And it's hard to mess around with her too much. People feel very defensive when she becomes unrecognizable. And even though, and it may seem like, oh yeah, putting pants on her makes sense because why would she be running around in this skirt and and, you know, have her legs completely unprotected, then it's like, well, then if you take away her outfit, is she still Wonder Woman? Do we still recognize her? Is that the character that we've fallen in love with um, and have been inspired by? So it is super complicated. (laughs) And I don't think I had a hardcore stand on on the pants. Um, I thought it made for super interesting discussion. there was a moment where she, briefly she had short hair. They chopped all her hair off, too. That was maybe set in the early 2000s, I think. Um, and, and that was also highly controversial. Um, but, you know, you do what I feel is for all these female characters, um, having them be overly sexualized is a way of mitigating female power. I mean, we see it with our, you know, political female political leaders with just how how much intense scrutiny they have on their visual appearance that male politicians, I mean, they don't get any, nobody ever talks ever about what they wear, let alone how they physically look, you know. Um, so it's a way of distracting audiences and definitely a way of... Um, you know, when you have these powerful women that also look totally hot and 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 strike these ridiculous poses, you know, that really compromises any power. So I think as women, you know, we want to see 
our heroes be attractive and we want them to have a healthy sense of sexuality, but we don't want it to be decorative, you know, or eye candy. Um, and so it's, it's, it's you know, subjective on, on one hand where that line is, um, but uh, there's definitely versions of, of all of these characters and versions of Wonder Woman where they were much more egregious, um, you know, and where she was wearing basically a thong. <laughs> yeah. And there were lots of butt shots. So um, I think, you know, we're used to them dressing a certain way and that kind of has to go with the territory. They have to be um, sexy, but do they have to be in sexual poses in every single panel? Um that's you know that's i hope we can steer begin to steer away from that for our for our female heroes and then maybe I take on the sexiness yeah. you know and and like what would be what would you know be uh, you know a, a healthy sexuality and a confident sexuality but not necessarily just purely sexy i just want to say that that was the best explanation that I have heard for how it is that like so many you know like feminists like myself we were like we we like we want to like the pants thing and yet it's not okay and you totally explained it I think that that's I think, I think you just did the best job and I read a ton of comics analysis from this perspective and I think I just wanted to do a personal on everything you just said that is totally right on so, Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I say I do put uh, scrutiny on the clothes of the men wearing politicians. Every every state of the union, I'm talking about their ties constantly for two hours. That, that's all. Uh, that's, that's, your, yeah, that's your thing, though. That's your thing. Snarky snarky Twitter comments about ties. I mean, I think it's okay to talk about it, but should you know CNN should CNN run a whole story on it? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so actually, in the beginning of the documentary, you talked about a lot of the that Wonder Woman wasn't necessarily the first. She was just kind of the most well known. Um, and it's interesting that this doc came out around the time it did because there's a company, Dynamite Entertainment, that's bringing back a lot of the pulp characters. Um, and they and they brought back like characters like Mrs. Fury, which you showed in um, mm. part of it and so it was just like this really interesting timing and it's characters I don't even really know about because they're so obscure um, and not really obscure just like you haven't heard about them for 70 years um, how much did you look at those type of characters um, and you know what was out there and, and generally like why do you think that Wonder Woman has endured over you know this whatever 70 years it is or 75 or whatever it is um and those characters have kind of like disappeared and forgotten. Mm. I did. I did look at some of the early female superheroes, and you know, Miss Fury. I think is particularly interesting because she was created by a woman herself, or, um, and had a, a a pretty interesting story around her. Um, and again, I love, I love that kind of. Uh, era of comic artwork where they were still discovering <laughs> the style. Um, so it was, it was you know, very diverse in terms of the look of all of these, the way that they were illustrated. Um, and I guess, what was the other one? There was a cat. What was her name? Um, there was a the cat. The cat, yeah. So I, I really kind of looked to some of the research of Trina Robbins and 
the you know she has a couple anthologies about um female superheroes and cartoon characters and also female writers and artists of uh, cartoons and and comic books um and you know found a lot of interesting material and and i think you know we felt like we could contain that early on was was just some visual references particularly with the <laughs> the William Moulton Marston storyline, uh, which was complicated. Um uh so so yeah, so it was really it was fun to learn about those and I always go to Trina Robbins for that kind of reference and she'll have some great story about having talked with, you know, a descendant and and revealed some missing piece of um, archival material and, and I really commend her for bringing those stories to light and kind of just incredibly doggedly um, not letting us forget those those stories and those comics and, you know, helping to get them reprinted or to get the limelight back on them in a much more thorough way than, you know, I could have in, in my short film. Um, and then what was the other part of that question? <laughs> oh, why, did, why has Wonder Woman... Oh, why has Wonder endured? Woman had such staying power? Um that is such an excellent question. I mean, I can't think of an answer. Like I, I don't, really don't yeah. know. Yeah, after one, all but... this, I'm not really sure I have an answer. I think it had. I mean, some of it was serendipitous. Um, I think that you know, a big enough comic book company believed in Marston to pick up a character like that. Um, I, mean, I think thing... that. I can think of is when yeah. DC is kind of has this trinity of Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and it's been that kind of trinity of characters, mm-hmm. and that's about the only thing I've got. <laughs> if even DC doesn't like push the character a whole lot, I mean it's mm-hmm. really Superman, Batman, and then Wonder Woman's kind of like a distant third. Um, yeah, that's the only thought I've got on that one, though. So. Yeah, I mean I think her. Her storyline was, you know, strong enough to withstand. I mean, it's borrowing from Greek mythology, so that's pretty tried and true. And I, I yeah, I, I don't have an excellent answer for it for it either. I mean, I think it was kind of a combo, <laughs> a, a you know, just kind of a lucky combination of of different different things coming together. And and you're right, it's you know, DC has been. Protective of that character, not wanted to let her die off, and you know, had continued to publish her even when she didn't sell that well, um, recognizing their asset, you know, but then at the same time, not nearly doing enough with it. <laughs> um, so, a lot of the conventions that do are doing um, film festivals along with the normal, you know, stuff they got in, um, going on, a lot of panels. And is there chances of the documentary being taken around to things like San Diego Comic Con, New York Comic Con, or any of the other conventions out there? Um, we've shown at some smaller Comic Cons. I think that because it's already been on TV, um, public TV, that it's a little bit harder to sell for festivals now. But, you know, we'll go anywhere we're invited, basically. Um, and it's, you know, it's played in really random places. It's, you know, played in Australia. Perth, Australia, and just, you know, kind of all over the place, um, Stockholm, you know, Iceland, like, 
just it's interesting um who where it finds its audiences and so I think that um yeah, I would love to to play at more comic conventions. I haven't been able to kind of take it around as much. I I just had a daughter in the last 9 months. So I haven't been traveling hoping it as much as I might have. <laughs> Thank you. Is there is there anything for for fans if they wanted um to get it to play locally? Yeah, well, you can just contact us and we have set up um community events and events at public libraries or just we kind of like to always try to partner with a local organization of some kind but that's not too hard to pull off so um if you have a museum or you have a library or you have a community group you can just contact us and our website's wonderwomendoc.com and you can email us from there and you can also read more about upcoming screenings. And we're also on Facebook at Wonder Women Doc and Twitter as well. So, Oh, yeah. So how else can we in- help promote the movie? How else can we help uh, promote the movie? Um, well, I think right now we're we're really trying to do our educational push. So, you know, encouraging your local college, your local library to purchase a copy. Definitely libraries because then it can really get into circulation. That's important to us. Um, and you can, you know, host small screenings. Um, you can buy a copy and donate it to a school as well. Um, and just keep in, you know, keep in touch with us, keep in dialogue with us on on Facebook and Twitter, so we can hear what you think and where it should play. And we've, we, you know, we've had a good time. Really, kind of being feels pretty intimate with with the people that are interested have been interested in the film. So. Um, we like to, you know, keep that conversation going. Great. I mean, it's, I, I really appreciate you coming on. Is there, I mean, is there anything else that you want to plug about the doc or um, anything about it upcoming up that you want to throw out there for the audience? Um, just to also um, watch for our launch of our video game, Wonder City, which will be on the Wonder Woman PBS site and as well as on our own Wonder Woman doc dot com site and um encourage your kids to play that game and let us know what you think. Cool. I, I really appreciate you coming on. It was a great documentary so to be able to talk to you is is fantastic. Thank, yeah, you. thank you. Thank you. It's a great conversation. <laughs> yeah, and if there's if there's ever a follow up, absolutely think of us. We'll have you on in a second. <laughs> mhm. <laughs> right <Yeah>. on. <laughs> cool. I appreciate it. Okay. Bye. Hey, bye. Bye. So yeah, it was very cool. Um I like I really for folks who haven't seen the documentary, um it's playing on the on PBS's website through June fourteenth, I think. So mm-hmm. um I really encourage everyone to watch it. One, it's it's a great discussion to have. Two, for comic book fans, it's just got a great bit of history as far as Wonder Woman and, and characters in general. Um female characters in general. So, I mean, it's, uh, like, I loved that documentary. It was really, really good. Um, it was awesome to see on PBS. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I know it was a success because my aunt, because I know it's a success because my aunt, who is not a comic book geek in the slightest, uh, called me up to say that she'd watched the documentary and that she loved it. So Yes, that's always, that's a very good sign. And I, I can't wait to see what this video game is. And, uh, 
to see what how uh, see where that goes because I mean it's uh I know there's a lot of discussions about um, women in video games and how they're portrayed and just the community as a whole um, for good and bad. There's a lot of discussion going on, so you know hopefully we can get uh, like another documentary or more um, more of a study as to you know what what's going on there. Um, yeah. So yeah. Um, so next week we actually have another guest as well. Um, on the 13th, we've got Jamal Eagle, who is the creator of Molly Danger, which we talked about a little bit earlier with Action Labs. So we've got another cool guest, and the show will be returning to its normal 10 o'clock start time. Um, so yeah, that should actually be really, really cool. Um, I, I gave to the his Kickstarter project um, to launch Molly Danger, so to finally see something of Molly Danger in print was awesome. Um, and it's going to be as cool. And I can actually say I'm a Molly Danger card-carrying member. Um, he actually mm-hmm. had, like, a, a club card for, for people who gave. Um, nice. So that's kind of awesome. So, um, And, folks, I want to remind you that though Free Comic Book Day is once a year, it doesn't mean we can't keep celebrating our hobby and love comics and geekdom every single day. So spend each day being proud of your interest in fandom, no matter the color of your skin, your age, your gender, or your taste. And make sure to share your infectious joy and the fun we have with others. So for Graphic Policy, I'm Brett. And I'm Ilana. And until next episode, keep on geeking. <laughs>